tell Jack about the dowry. Oh, God. My mom called and she Welcome and thanks for tuning in to uh, Progress Texas and our podcast content for this week. This is typically the Progress Texas happy hour, uh, but happy is something that uh, is in sort of short supply all across the state of Texas as the state continues to grapple with this absolutely horrific incident that has happened in Uvalde, Texas, which uh, for those of us here in Austin, about two hours away, uh, a little bit west of, uh, of San Antonio in the southern part of what we call the, the Texas Hill Country. Uh, everybody has heard about this. It's a national, huge national story. Uh, school shooting that has claimed the lives at this point of 21 people, 19 kids, two adults. And uh, at this point, all of us here at Progress Texas are in complete shock, complete grief. And um, and for me, it's the, no shortage of anger uh, in terms of the, 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 the space that we typically cover uh, with our podcast material here it's clearly political uh so that's you know that's what we're here to do we're going to make it political a little bit here and you know in spite of the uh the exhortations of some folks not to make it political so we appreciate you joining us uh, as we all feel our way through this we got three different segments today uh in our first block a block we're going to kind of take apart the talking points that have been generated so far by this event um, and kind of kick that around to see what we think b block go over the responses to those talking points and in C block, we want to talk about what we all can do. Is there anything in in the face of such an event that we can do? And there are things um, that we can do, you know, all the way from immediate stuff to uh, to future stuff in term in terms of activism and voting and things like that. So let me introduce the uh, the crew, all of whom are familiar and all of whom I'm glad to see um, at a tough moment like this. We have Ed Espinosa, we have Diana Gomez, Sam Gonzalez, Glenn Smith, and Wesley Story. Uh, our typical family here at um, at Progress Texas. So uh, rather than kind of directing traffic, uh, we're all in various states of, uh, I think, disbelief. As I said before, it's a very emotional time. I'm just going to let people pipe up as they would like to. And let's start off with, um, you know, any comments that we have about what's coming out of Texas state government uh, in just the really just the, the first day, the first, you know, several hours uh, following this seismic event in terms of what the uh, what the Republican leadership of Texas is saying about what has happened here and and what we think about that. Anybody who wants to pipe up, go ahead. Uh, you know, I think that the first talking point is whenever we hear, whenever something like this happens and people want to talk about how we got here, the thing we hear so much from Republican leaders and from Fox News and from other entities is that we should not politicize this issue but the thing is, this issue is political. Like, guns are, are more political than almost anything else. Guns and abortion are two of the most political things you could possibly come up with. So it's not politicizing it to talk about it. I actually feel like them telling you not to talk about it is gaslighting you. We absolutely should talk about it. If you don't, you talk about natural disaster recovery right after a natural disaster. You should talk about gun policy right after a, a gun tragedy. And in this case, I, I, I would even go so far as to say we, if, if it's not already political, then we should politicize it. Yeah, I honestly feel like whenever something happens that are, is Republican leadership fault or the fault of you know, government inaction, that's what their go-to is, don't politicize this. This isn't about politics at all. Why are you making this about politics? And they've been so good at getting folks to repeat that as well. 
And that is what has become of this gaslighting thing that you hear it so much, you know, folks just repeat it back. But like you said, Ed, this is extremely political. These are children's lives. And if there was any moment to get the most political, it's this one right now. To not be political is Republicans are honestly saying, turn away and don't blame us. That's what they're saying. Don't blame, don't look at the problem and don't see that it's our inaction that has caused this. Look away, keep living your normal life. Look away, don't see us taking money from the NRA, profiting from this because we are the cause of this. Just, you know, ignore it. Can we make the obvious point that it was a bunch of politicians, political politicians that gathered in the Texas Capitol to pass a law that said you no longer needed a permit or a training or meeting other requirements to carry any kind of gun you wanted in Texas? Wasn't that political? Seems obvious to me. Immediately, that uh, press conference that was held yesterday at, um, at Uvalde High School, nearby the elementary school where the shooting happened, I mean, you want to talk about a political rogues gallery. There's Abbott, there's Paxton, there's Cruz, there's Cornyn, there's all of them. Uh, so this is already a highly, you know, if nothing but a political event with a bunch of, of, uh, of Republican, you know, office holders up there, you know, making their pitch or whatever. And for Beto then to show up, Beto O'Rourke is famously at this point, everybody's seen the video of, of him crashing the meeting. Uh, the the accusations towards him from the Republican bases, oh, he's showing up to make it political. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's patently ridiculous and absurd on his face. You know what he was doing is he was expressing the frustration that every voter has, and they want to see politicians and lawmakers do that. And we should, that's exactly the response we should have had from Abbott and from Patrick and from all those bozos that were up there, because the only time they show emotion was when they got mad at, at uh, Beto for doing that. They should have been as mad at, Be- at the shooting as they were at Beto, and they weren't. I totally agree. And I think that what you mentioned, Chris, is so important because inherently their involvement, their presence is political. These are politicians. So by saying not to make an issue political means that you are refusing to do your job. You are a politician. It is your job to make issues like this political, figure out solutions, but they don't want to talk about solutions. They want to continue to do nothing, which is what they've done after every single gun incident Every year, every time it's happened in Texas, every time it's happened across the country, they refuse to take action. And they go into that community and lie to them. What more political can it be? You're going to go from wherever your little castles are, come to this little community that's been ravaged to say thoughts and prayers and not do anything about it? You're going to just lie to their faces? That's about as classic uh, mustache-twirling political you can get. So... Don't come and act offended when somebody's trying to say something that actually means something, you know? They act offended because they hate being held accountable. They like when people look away. And it's hard for folks to look away when children were murdered and it was their fault. And just a quick bottom line for folks who don't know what to say when people tell them don't make it political is that, you know, we've talked already about why this specific issue is political, but Every single thing is political, everything. And it's you can't just put something into a box of it is or it isn't. Everything is from the clothes that you wear, from the laws that are passed and that affect your workplace, um, from you know your, your roads that you drive on, your neighborhood, everything is political. And that's why it's important for all of us to recognize this and to know that 
a lot of these everyday things are affected by politicians. I wanted to mention my uh, my kids. I've got uh, uh, two, well, a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old now. 18-year-old is literally in just a few days will graduate from Austin High School. So I'm almost past my public school days. There are a lot of things about my public school days that I'm glad to have behind me, but we've had a great time and we're, you know, we're loyal forever. We love Austin High and, and totally stand behind AISD. Uh, but I will totally say this. Uh, this was a, a, a an amazing experience actually just yesterday. Uh, both of my kids went to Brikerwoods Elementary School, which is not far from our house here. And they had an event yesterday where they took all the seniors who are graduating and paraded them through the halls of Brikerwoods Elementary. So just yesterday, about 24 hours ago, I was part of a parade that rolled all the way through an elementary school. And it was one of the sweetest things that I've ever seen. All these young kids who are, are in the position that my kids were in just a few years ago, cheering and high-fiving and seeing, you know, what's what's in their future. You know, if they if they end up going to Austin High, or we had lots of kids and we had Ann Richards kids and they went a lot of places. But uh, it was it was a, a super powerful moment for me uh, and is in my memory now thinking about this horrible thing that happened in Uvalde. Just just this should be the sweetest, happiest, most innocent place of safety. You know, Chris, I was I was I have to so agree with you. And so my grandson's in, in a daycare here in Austin, and it, I don't identify it for obvious security reasons. It's already been a target of, of hate crimes. And so it's very much on my mind. And, and I, was, I was going back in my own life. And it's my elementary school in Houston. The scariest thing that ever happened was they'd show B-horror movies during the Halloween celebrations. And it'd scare the pants off of us. We, it was like a, compared to where we are now, you know, two generations later, what have we done? How can it be we've got to a place where we have to be worried about our little children in their schools and where real suggestions are being made, stupid suggestions, in, in my opinion, that we just turn them into like fort kiddos, where they we lock them inside a, a fort and uh, to keep them safe from a world we have created outside there. It's it, it's it's sad and it's embarrassing to me. You know when um, when Columbine happened, they they banned Marilyn Manson CDs. And they banned trench coats. They didn't ban guns. And and you know the response. I want to get back to our our a block topic here, which is dismantling the talking points. One of the talking points people are saying is that we should be arming teachers. Well, first of all, I'm I'm pretty sure the teachers don't don't want that. Second of all, we don't trust teachers right now to teach the lessons that they're teaching in the books that they've got. We think we can trust them with guns. I mean, this is, it would be laughable if it weren't so outrageous. And just the obvious point that guns are never the solution. More guns do not fix this issue. If more guns were the solution, then America would be the safest nation in the world, but it's not. This continues to happen because there are so many guns in our country. People have access to them. You think that having a gun in a classroom will keep kids safer? What happens if there's a fight that breaks out and a kid somehow manages to obtain that weapon? What happens if a teacher is having a really terrible day or has a lot of issues going on? I don't trust there to be guns in every single classroom because nobody knows what will happen to with right. them. Right, the answer, is, the answer for these guys is always more guns which is always, should never be the answer. And, and by the way, I'll say this as somebody who is not anti-gun, 
in general, but I am pro-sensible gun reform. Like, we've got to stop me. Come on. Glenn, we've seen this before where, where Texas lawmakers have tried to put marshals in schools or armed teachers. I, I'm sure you can... Uh, you, the reason I, 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 I'm directing these comments to you is because I know that you've seen so much of this for so many years. Is it just the stranglehold that the NRA has on these guys that they have to spit out these talking points? Or is there something else that we're missing? Well, I, be- I believe it is the hold of the NRA just to go back a ways where the how the NRA became so politically powerful. I mean, back in the day when I was a little kid, my father was a hunter. The Rifleman magazine, the magazine in the NRA was all about hunting. It wasn't political at all. Uh, it did have some news about guns and hunting guns, but it had nothing political in it. And so it got politicized or was turned into a political weapon by the right in the in the early 70s. Not, not with no coincidence that it was about exactly the same time they turned right-wing churches into weapons. Um, the two things happened at the same time. And one of the tricks the NRA did at the time, it wasn't just that they'd go into state house races or congressional races and talk about guns. They'd spend a lot of money on other issues as well. Their intention was to beat the candidates who weren't for them, it didn't matter what issue they had to talk about. So over decades now, they have convinced a lot of Republicans on the right uh, that without them, they can't win. And so a lot of it is felty to the NRA. But it's more insidious than that, because it's also sort of like a way to, quote unquote, own the libs, right? So we're just going to talk about guns, and we're going to bait the libs into saying something that's never going to pass in the first in the end, and we'll be able to mock them for where they are, the way they mocked Beto for what he did in Uvalde yesterday. So it's a it's a 360-degree political uh, strategy that has worked so far, but may be coming to the end of its time, because I'm hopeful this is actually an inflection point. This is, this is a moment where things are going to begin to turn around on this issue. You know, I want to bring up another talking point. Um, so we've, we've dismantled several talking points here already, but another one that often comes up after a shooting is that the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Well, in Uvalde, we had a team of good guys who didn't stop the bad guy. And in addition to that, you know, I, I remember being on the air live when I was doing a segment with KVU here in Austin during the Oregon shooting. And there was an on-campus, an armed on-campus security guard there who did not engage with that shooter because, he, one, he, was, he feared for his life, and two, he knew that other law enforcement agencies showing up on the scene wouldn't know the difference between him and the actual shooter. And that happens a lot. There was somebody in Colorado who tackled an active shooter and was killed by police because they thought that he was the shooter. Uh, the Buffalo massacre that happened a week ago had a good guy with a gun. Parkland, Florida, the school massacre there, had a good guy with a gun. The Navy Yard shooter in 2013, there was a good guy with a gun. And every time it wasn't enough. The problem isn't the good guys and the bad guys. The problem is the guns. This isn't the Wild West. I look at those movies. I look at, to lighten it half a ton, I look at Tombstone, the movie, where one of the characters shoots another. He said, he called me a coward. Killed a man right in the street, right? Is that what they want? Is that the type of masculinity they want to present? Is that the life that they want to live? Where it's so accessible and, and there's good guys and bad guys. And if you look at the narrative, who's the bad guys, right? You know, who do they think are the bad guys? 
and they want to just do that freely just because um, makes no sense to me. And I think that's another hole in the argument, right, Sam, is that inherently by saying that good guys with guns stop bad guys with guns, then you're accepting the fact that somebody's going to show up at a school, there's going to be a shootout, and okay, we'll just take them out by a good guy. Kids should not be living in a world where they should be anticipating these types of things going down in their schools. You have to prevent the people, the bad guys, from getting the guns in the first place. We should point out that uh, that's a, a key part of this story is that this particular shooter, uh, I think just a day or two after he turned 18, bought both of his guns and all of his ammunition completely legally, completely in compliance with Texas law to the point where it didn't even raise any suspicions from anybody. So that's, that's the reality we live in in Texas. We've talked about dismantling the talking points, and we've come up with some big ones. Um, let's talk about the responses to the shooting. We, we, you know, Chris, we talked a little bit about Beto's response, and I, I, I talked to some people yesterday, and some people really liked it, and some other people thought, oh, it was too political, I didn't like it. But here's the thing, that Democrats fall into this all the time. They said, a lot of people I talked to on the liberal side of the aisle said, well, I liked it, but I don't like that he did it because my friends who are conservative didn't like it, or my friends who I think are persuadable didn't like it. And I think that that's, there's a problem with that thinking because more often than not, we need lawmakers and politicians who tell us what they think, who show us their emotion, and that's what we got. And it was, it was very telling in the response we got from the Republicans. And that it was less about the issue and more about how dare, the audacity that someone would interrupt them. Right. And, uh, and I, I think it I think you nailed hit the nail on the head right there with that. This is about emotion. And when when I think people who are uh, on our side of the aisle uh, saw what Beto did, I think we saw ourselves in him. We saw we yeah. saw an opportunity, um, you know, for for to speak truth to power uh, for a moment. It is true that this is and it already is being spun on the right side as, as something that was inappropriate or something that was that was opportunistic on on Beto's behalf. I don't see it that way. I know we see things differently from either side of the aisle. Uh, I would also say this, that in the absence of a debate, you know, Governor Abbott, if you don't want people interrupting your press conferences, maybe agree to a conversation with your challenger. And let's see where things go from there. For the Republicans to spend the last six years shouting about how things are unfair, uh, all this fervor from the former president shouting about how things are so wrong for a man to go up there to calmly state, hey, maybe you shouldn't kill kids. And for that to be met with such like, how, how can he be so emotional? How could he be so interrupting? We need that. We Absolutely. need a little bit of fury in what we do because it is righteous fury. What we're asking is not wrong. I don't think I can't imagine a world that that's wrong to have, make sure the kids don't die in their school. Yeah. Right. Is that, were, a, is, is that a wrong ask? You know, there were a handful of people in that auditorium, by the way, which noticed how sparsely attended it was. If anybody didn't watch the entire video from start to end that were yelling for them to allow Beto to speak. Yeah, there were yeah. there were definitely people in there that were this was not Beto on his own completely in you know, foreign enemy territory. There were people in that room that wanted to hear what Beto had to say. And I, I think it's important to point out that this is an issue that's extremely close to Beto's heart because of the shooting in El Paso in mm -hmm. 2019, you know, his hometown. Mm -hmm. This is something that he is 
legitimately emotional about but he went up there very calmly stated what he had to say and then walked out of the auditorium again very calmly nothing he did was disrespectful nothing he did was uncivil but republicans don't have any argument to justify their actions and so they have to point to things like that in order to you know to avoid having to talk about the issue at hand to avoid actually having a discussion on solutions, they have to turn it, the story around to be like, oh my God, look at what Beto did. Beto was speaking for Texans in that moment. He was speaking for the people of Uvalde in that moment. And I think that, like you said, Ed, a lot of liberals, a lot of progressives, a lot of Democrats loved it. This is the kind of action that we need to see more often from our lawmakers. What we've been doing for years is not working. It's time for a little bit more boldness from our politicians. Absolutely. Let me add one more thing, Wesley. It wasn't just Democrats and liberals that liked what Beto had to say. It was a lot of parents, regardless of party, that liked what Beto had to say. So all my friends who I've talked to who have had to drop their kids off at school over the last two days are petrified right now. And the thing is, is that it's not limited to Uvalde. And we know this, right? The Santa Fe shooting, which happened a couple of years ago, the El Paso shooting. Uh, we had a, thwart, a, a shooting in the Dallas area in Richardson that was thwarted this week, yesterday, uh, the day after the shooting. Uh, we had another one here in Austin. There, were, there was an active shooter who did shoot two people and was on the loose in downtown. We need to do what we're doing. And by that, what I mean is we need to be advancing the solutions and criticizing those who stand in the way of those solutions. Yeah. And Beto may have opened the door to that. Now, what the, and I say this because... The R's would prefer us to keep talking about what Beto did, just like they're talking about what Beto did. He opened the door to a deeper discussion of these issues and just who's in the way of the solutions that are necessary. Gosh, to save the lives of second graders, what, what could be more urgent than that right now? So I applaud him for that, but I'd urge us to get to talking about those solutions and talking about the people standing in the way of them. Did anybody else see Biden's speech? Yes. I did. Um, I was very impressed with it. I mean, obviously, him speaking as the president, as a parent, and as a parent who has lost more than a couple of children. I think he's lost three children this lifetime. He had one, he hit several poignant statements. But one of the ones he said towards the end, and let me make sure I get this right, where in God's name is our backbone? And I think that's the same question that so many other people are asking right now. I mean, it's absolutely, I mean, it's absolutely right. I mean, when you, you, you asked earlier, and we discussed about the felty, many on the right field to the NRA, but truthfully, that motivation on their part is fear and cowardice, right? They're afraid to stand up to those uh, benefactors of theirs, and that fear, that cowardice is costing the lives of America. More mass shootings, more deaths, because they are cowards and consider their own, like, Incumbency is far more important in the lives of Americans. So you, you hit the nail on the head there, Ed. Uh, one other thing that he said in his speech was he talked about mental health. He said the thing about mental health is that other countries have mental health problems. We're not the only ones with mental health problems, apart from the fact that we refuse to fund mental health uh, coverage for people and that we don't really treat it as, a, as a, the way we should in this country. The bigger issue here is that we have access to assault weapons. People with mental health conditions have access to assault weapons. But I'll take it a step further. Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut 
came out and said just blatantly, stop it with the mental health bullshit. He said it's not always just about mental health. Buffalo wasn't about mental health. El Paso wasn't about mental health. Those were about hate. Those were about people inciting responses. There are, there are so many issues that tie into it here. So I think that to, to tie this back to our A block, I think the mental health talking point is one that we need to to pull the rug out from under. And two, going back to this as a response and here in our B block, I think Biden made a really good point saying if, if it's mental health, why doesn't it happen anywhere else when other people have mental health issues? Because we flooded our zone with deadly weapons, you know, amongst people who have either mental health issues or have, you know, issues with their, you know, with their hate. The, the it's also interesting to note that uh you know there's a lot of talk about red flag laws going on now and that's something that we've tried before and it didn't make it through the texas legislature uh, a, a red flag law does are keyed to criminal past or to mental uh mental care track record would not have stopped this shooter because he had neither one of those we do have something that i characterize as a yellow flag law <laughs> and by that i mean it's like a uh, uh, a warning that never gets makes it to the real world in time to like affect the transaction for the gun that could be updated to a red flag log quite easily and i just want to add this on the mental health it could be there is a mental health issue and the mental health issue could belong to those politicians who prefer death to solutions it could be their mental health issue it's the whole culture that's cultivated here sometimes in Texas where you need to have a gun to be a man or to be masculine or to be tough. And so any mental health issue can be compounded with a lack of inadequacy for not being strong. Or There's a whole, I hate to bring it up, but just masculine part of it where you have to be seen as tough and strong. And a lot of times that manifests in that way where it's, I need to shoot some. And that's with mentally healthy people, my friends, friends, native Texans that are like, yeah, I have my guns and they tote them. They think they're all cool. And then when someone who, you know, might need a little bit of help gets access to them and, and does the most horrific thing, what, what do you, you expect is going to happen, right? And I also think this is another um, area where it's like, OK, if you want to talk about mental health and put your money where your mouth is in April, Texas cut two hundred eleven million dollars from the department that oversees mental health programs, we have refused to expand Medicaid, something that would provide access to mental health care for more for millions more Texans. But they want to turn this issue into mental health. They've shown that they're not willing to support folks with mental health issues. They've shown that they're not willing to actually use funds, d direct funds to programs that would have a solution to this problem, but then they want to bring it up whenever something goes down with guns. Again, it's just another way to distract from the issue at hand. To distract and also Republicans are a lot of the folks that are creating these difficult conditions for Texans to live in that have us with much more mental health issues. I feel like it's affected my mental health knowing that if the weather gets too hot or too cold, I might lose power. I might not have access to food. That affects my mental health. That is incredibly stressful. Teachers without being, you know, paid well, that affects them. There's so many ways in which our Republican leadership has failed us that has caused these actual mental health issues that they're blaming and it's it's their fault. Also give that teacher a gun. Also give that teacher a gun in the midst of all of it. COVID and not underpaid, overworked. They're leaving the job at record rates, and then give them a gun too. Make sure they defend their students from an active but no, shooter. But, but no mask. For whatever you do, don't no give mask. them a mask yeah, to no prevent mask, disease. No Just let them put a gun across their mouth and nose, you know? Mm -hmm.
all of this, I've, it's occurred to me that, that we may be seeing a symptom of full systemic failure, basically, where you're talking about you're talking about poverty, you're talking about frustration, you're talking about uncertainty, you're talking about you know economic problems, you're talking about climate change, you're talking about the grid. All of these things, you know, to some degree or the other, are tied to the policies that have been governing our state for the last forty years or whatever. And it's time for there to be, you know. I don't think it's a stretch for there to be a little bit of accountability for that. Yeah, it's like Glenn says, they complain about, was it Glenn, Republicans complain about government being ineffective and then they get elected to go prove it? Yeah, and they've done a great job of proving that, haven't they? I mean, there's a related issue here, by the way, that you mentioned it, Chris and Ed, that they've been in charge for, what, more than two decades in Texas, right? And now there's there's a violent crime wave that's hit our urban areas like it has around the country. But somehow or other, they're not even accountable for that. Yeah. You know, crime was down in 1994 when the issue beat Ann Richards for re-election, right? Now the crime is up, but these guys in statewide office seem somehow to have nothing whatsoever to do with it. They're so unaccountable. So speaking of accountability and getting back to responses, I, I actually I don't want to let Greg Abbott off the hook here. So I really want to talk about what this, this, this jerk had to say. Greg Abbott's response to this and his response to past shootings has always been to just come out and read a statement and then to say he's going to do these things and then to not do anything at all. You know, I remember specifically it was either it was either after the Santa Fe shooting or the El Paso shooting. I think they may have actually been. By the way, for those who don't know what I'm talking about, Santa Fe, there's a city in Texas. Near Houston. Talking about. Yeah, Santa Fe, uh, Texas, where he started to put together these roundtables around the state talking about Texas gun laws and what could be do- done to sort of mitigate these problems. And he even indicated some willingness on red flag laws and some other things. Uh, Now, a reporter put up a tweet this week that showed the 40 things that came out of those those roundtable discussions with communities that Abbott would pursue. And Abbott then proceeded to do none of them, not a single one. And in fact, we came back to the Texas legislature in 2021. What he then proceeded to do was pass permitless carry and a couple of other crazy laws where, and then had a statement saying, I guess you could say I just made it easier to get guns. And he said that glibly. And the, and he's got past tweets where he put up posts saying, California is number one in gun sales. And as a Texas, as a Texan, I'm ashamed of that. What is, I mean, this guy constantly reminds Texans that he doesn't care about you. He only cares about a couple of small interest groups. And he's can, repeatedly showing that again in this shooting here today and uh, this week. There were two comments from Governor Abbott that stuck out at me or two turns of phrase, I guess I should say. One was that that this event was incomprehensible, which is the exact opposite of what we're looking at. This is completely predictable and it's a it's a yep. product of, of, of the uh, the circumstances that have been put in place. The other was and I couldn't believe this. And I think that, you know, Right now, as we record this, the timeline of exactly what happened is still kind of in debate, and they're still trying to figure that out. So I think this will become more clear as it goes along. Uh, But Abbott had the balls to say that this could have been worse, that without the actions, whatever actions did or didn't take place, again, we're still working that out, but that this could have been worse. We're talking about 21 dead people. We're talking about the third worst school shooting in U.S. history, the, the top worst school shooting in Texas history, and this could have been worse. I couldn't believe that came out of his mouth. Yeah. Whenever folks said that, or to whichever folks that said that it was inappropriate for Beto to go in and confront him, I feel like it was inappropriate for him to say that comment. 
it was inappropriate for him and all of those Republicans to have a press conference in that city where it happened. I feel like everyone has felt a lot of rage and what Beto did was not just totally appropriate, but is, you know, like y'all had said before, what a lot of us felt with those inappropriate comments from Abbott. I mean, I feel like most, a lot of folks are, have been really pissed off this whole week with what happened, knowing that it was preventable, but even more pissed off after Abbott said that it could have been worse. And on top of all of that, you know, on Tuesday, hours after the shooting occurred, he went and attended a fundraising event. I mean, a, a quick we, stop we talk it, right? We talk about things being inappropriate. It is wholly inappropriate for you to go raise money hours after 19 kids were brutally killed at an elementary school in your state. Um, but again, Republicans only care about money. I mean, that's why we're in this situation to begin with is because of their priorities and they prioritize money over children's lives. I'm going to bet you there was NRA money showing up at that fundraiser as well. Because of its location it. and where their spending has often been in the past, so I'm going to guess it was there this time too. And I let this let that ring in people's ears real quick. He doesn't care about this he, and, and anything that he's trying to say. Say he can sound like it, pretend like it, but the things he's doing, he does not. Governor Greg Abbott does not care about protecting your kids. You know, Sam. You have a you know, to my knowledge, and it's possible that we've missed some instances. But to my knowledge, he has never called victims of a natural disaster, victims of the grid failure who froze to death, uh, other victims of these kind of shootings in Texas. To my knowledge, he has not done even that uh, almost formulaic but necessary part of actual leadership in a state or nation where he where he demonstrates his regard for the lives and health of others. He's never done it, to, to my knowledge. Nation's worst governor. I want to take a second also to talk about, I know we've talked so much about hypocrisy here, but all the time and the money and the resources that Republicans have wasted over the past few months, over the past year, trying to ban books in schools, attacking trans kids at schools, investigating families of trans kids, all while claiming that they're trying to protect kids. Meanwhile, they've done nothing to keep kids safe from guns in schools. They've done nothing. Kids and teachers are being murdered and Republicans have been wasting their time debating whether kids should be able to read a book that has gay characters in it. I mean, it's just, again, it would be laughable if it wasn't just so disturbing and so ghoulish. And they're wasting time creating these fake emergencies, these fake crises, when the actual real crisis of how easy it is to get a gun and shoot up kids in school is the one that they're ignoring. Mickey Mouse, Big Bird, Cat in the Hat all characters that Republicans have attacked over the past year, yet guns still remain unattacked by them. And somebody mentioned the NRA a minute ago. Speaking of the NRA, they will be in Texas. And our infamous politicians are expected to speak there, although some have been dropping out. John Cornyn was on the schedule, removed his name from the schedule, and said that he could no longer attend, but didn't have the spine to say it was because of what just happened. Why would you remove your name from a, ske a schedule this week and not say it was because of events that happened this week? He had an opportunity to show some leadership there and he, he, he just demonstrated that he, instead of being a leader, he was a coward. He couldn't stand up to the NRA. He could sh not show up, but he couldn't stand up to them. 
you know, if you're listening to this podcast on Thursday night or sometime Friday, this event is still in the future. And so along with the, the construction and release of the timeline of the event itself, there's still so much in motion, you know, at this point. But that is definitely going to be really telling and really interesting to see who shows up for this thing and what they say at it how the whole thing goes because it's typically you know trump's going to be at this thing it's typically waving the guns by the way they're banning guns they're not letting anybody bring oh, their yeah. guns in did you guys notice that <laughs> yeah oh, what the hell what uh gun free zones don't work don't you know the bad guys with guns will be there obviously uh i believe ted cruz is uh, actually i don't know what his role is at the nra what i do know is that when he ran for president in 2016 his super PAC ran an ad a paid tv ad bragging about how when gun sensible gun reform measures were proposed after Sandy Hook that Ted Cruz stood up to those laws and voted no. He voted no to reforms after Sandy Hook. And this was a campaign message that his super PAC had put out for his campaign. Just really awful stuff from these people who keep getting elected, though admittedly by smaller margins, we got an opportunity to do something about it this year. You know, he also did a social media video frying bacon on just the kind of long rifle that was used Forgot by the shooter in, in your valley. It's a precise kind of rifle that was used there. And there's smiling Ted Cruz frying bacon on it and having a grand old time on the shooting That's range. That's right. All of this is, uh, you know, I think indicative of the way that the, the impulses that the Republican Party have harnessed over the last 20, 30 years in order to stay in power, in order to get their their fringiest base off, you know, keep them fired up and keep them voting these guys in year after year, no matter what crazy stuff happens. I mean, that we're, we're seeing that result. We're seeing them basically lose control of this beast that they have unleashed. You know, they're they're now at a point where they cannot, you know, I would say the calculus, Glenn, is that they, they can't oppose the NRA. They're instantly out of a job if they oppose the NRA. So here they are. They're stuck between their political futures and the lives of fourth graders. And All too we, true. Kinda, we see which way they're going. However, with a show of courage, it may be the case that we're entering a period in our history where they can stand up to the NRA and not lose their jobs. We don't know that because they don't test it. But we may have reached that moment when even some of those who have obstructed us from passing common sense gun laws they may stand up to the NRA now or tomorrow and 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 win. And it's the NRA and like minds that will be the losers. I don't I gotta be careful about blaming all of this on the NRA because there's a whole lot of other like minds out there that are part of sort of the general gun movement. But it may be a little bit of courage would reelect them and not beat them. Unfortunately, once they got back in office they'd govern the same way they always do. That's a, yeah, that's kinda true. And continue to, you know, entrench their position through gerrymandering and, you know, voter suppression and, you know, any other different trick that they can come up with to, to stay in power. Well, I'm I really only trying to make the point my dad made to be very long ago about Nixon. He said that if Nixon thought it was necessary to his election to become a communist, he would have become a communist. There's sort of like no real belief inside these people. And as soon as the winds change on this issue, they'll be champions of common sense gun control measures, right? Because there's not a real belief inside them that's driving this. It's opportunism and hypocrisy. I think you're totally right, Glenn. It's opportunism and what's going to get them elected and reelected. And, you know, I'm someone that has worked for an elected official before. And just to let folks know, it, it really does make a difference what uh, 
the folks who elect them think of them. And if they're calling into their offices nonstop, emailing them nonstop, they really are swayed by that in terms of what policies they're going to push or not. Just this morning, there have been discussions of Cornyn maybe starting to talk to other senators about maybe looking at some gun control stuff. And so I feel like this is a prime opportunity to blast his offices and his email and to keep pushing him. If, even if there's just one tiny ounce of dignity that's flowing through his body, we have to pounce that ounce and make it as big as we can and, and push them to see that it's not just um, a small you know, minority of people that are for sensible gun reform, but it's, that it's most Texans, that it's most Americans. All right, so we're, we're at the point now to where we're talking about actions that people can take. And I know that a lot of people really feel helpless, demoralized, and like nothing's going to change. But the thing is, something has to change. And there are some actions that we can take that can help bring about change. And they're not easy actions, but they're things that we can do that we must do. And obviously, the first and foremost of that is that you've got to vote. And you've got to get your friend. Now, I know if you're listening to this podcast, you're already voting. But your friends around you, your soft connections, they may or may not be voting. And they may be voting... Who, on who knows what. But if they're not single-issue voters already, they need to be single-issue voters on this issue. Uh, there are, yet there are so many issues that they can vote on. The topic of guns needs to be part of the 2022 election. Greg Abbott wants to make the election about crime. Fine. Let's make it about crime. Let's specifically make it about gun crime. Republicans have wanted to make the issues of guns and abortion their platform the whole time they've been in office, and now they want to run away from both of those issues. Don't let them do it. Hold them accountable. They wanted to run on those issues, then they have to run on those issues. I also think, you know, Diana made a really good point that politicians, no matter how much it may seem like they don't listen, they do listen every now and then. And if they hear from you, if they know that their voters are voting on this issue, then change can happen. And so we need to advocate for common sense gun reform. You know, a majority of Texans support universal background checks. A majority of Texans support closing gun loopholes. A majority of Texans support red flag laws. And they also support assault weapons bans. All of those issues have a majority support from Texans. The problem is that a majority of Texans do not show up and make it known that they support those policies. And so we need to show up wherever, whenever, and however we can, whether that's protesting at the Capitol, writing to our lawmakers, we need to be there during the upcoming legislative session in 2023, every day advocating for these issues so that they can no longer ignore us. Let me add a couple of things to the laundry list that you mentioned, uh, Wesley. We should we can also have limits on high capacity rounds, uh, high capacity magazines. We can instill smart triggers where only people who have, have a, a a biometric reading can pull a trigger on something. We have it on computers now. We have it on uh, uh, keys that lock computers. We can have it on guns as well. We can also require insurance on guns the way we do on cars. Make it cost prohibitive. Here's one other thing that uh, really irritates me. When you see people arguing about this on Twitter and on Facebook and anywhere else, the gun advocates always come back to the gun reform people and say, 
that's not going to work. Come up with something else. No, you know what? The gun advocates need to come up with something else. Say, look, it's not my job to come up with an answer. It's an elected official's job to come up with an answer. And for them to say something's not going to work is not good enough. They need to come up with something that's going to work. And when they say if you outlaw guns, only the outlaws will have guns, well, not really. The black market's really fucking expensive. So most people aren't going to be able to afford things on the black market. And it's up to the politicians, if they're up to the job, to figure that out. We have to stop letting, like, when people say, well, that's not going to work, well, then they, you know what? Then they come up with something that works. Both the politicians and the gun advocates. Also, how do you know it's not going to work? Have you tried it? No. The answer is you haven't. So why are we not willing to try everything possible to prevent children getting murdered? Also, they think they think bans on abortions are going to work. So why don't they right? think bans on guns are going to work? They think bans on books are going to work? That's a good point. You know, I mean, I want to tell you a trick I use. It's not really a trick. It's a way to move forward in life, really, is I restore my hope every day by imagining the world that I want to exist when we're through with the necessary reforms. And I never lose hope because of that, because I can see it in front of me. So everybody should take a moment. If you're somewhat dispirited, remember the other side wants you to be dispirited. One of their taxes is to demoralize you. So if you want to get in their face about it, don't let yourself be demoralized. Imagine the world as you want it to be. In my own case, I would like to see our elementary schools as safe as they were when I was in one, where the scariest thing that ever happened to me happened on purpose on Halloween night. The rest of the time, it was a safe, innocent place of young learning, and I can see that in our future. People always want to go back to a more innocent time, but they don't think of it like that innocent time where people felt safe and community was important. Um, Glenn, I want to comment on what you said, because you actually said that in a meeting earlier, just to break the fourth wall here uh, about having hope. Um, I, I want to share, Ed, with your permission, a little bit of a story that I have with my experience with school shootings. Um, I was in uh, the community uh, during 2014 for the UC Santa Barbara massacre, uh, six students. Um, and that was the day before this shooting here. The anniversary of that was the day before this one here in Uvalde. The thing that you have to remember with this is we obviously mourn for the dead, but the living have to deal with this too. And every day that these things happen, the more that these things happen, more people are affected by it and are hurt by it. And every time it happens, the wound opens up every time like new. We can't, this can't go on like this or else everybody will feel it. I, I grew up in a bad neighborhood first couple of years of my life and we had shootings in the neighborhood um, sometimes and we'd have to go into lockdown sometimes. And, you know, 30 years later, my sister has kids. They're in really good schools. They're very smart. We did all the things that we had to do and they still fear for getting shot in school. And so it, it needs to stop. It needs to end. And, and we have the ability to do it. So, Glenn, seeing a future where I don't have to worry about, I don't know if you can hear the crying baby in the back, my niece. Aww. I don't know if you can hear her, but yeah. I, I don't want to have to worry about this in 10 years again when she's in school and she's the age of these kids um, who've lost their lives and the other kids now who have to move on knowing that they've lived and maybe they don't know why. Um, when I think about a future, the vision, the future we envision. I think about a future where we can kiss our kids in the morning when they go to school and know that we're going to be able to kiss them good night that same night. We put them to bed. Uh, 
uh, I think about a future where kids, uh, parents who are dropping their kids off at school in the morning aren't just mortified about what might happen while they're not there that day. Uh, I think about being able to go to an open event, a concert, a park, anywhere, and not have to scan the room or scan the field before I walk in. Uh, but I do. And, you know, when I worked at the DNC, one of the things they taught us to do was count bodies, count, count the number of people that, you're, that are in the room when you walk into them, count the number of cars in the parking lot. I still instinctively do it today. Um, I want to be able to not have to do that. And I think that there are a lot of other people that would like to have the peace of mind to know that their surroundings are as pleasant and secure and safe as possible without some madness in the world. It doesn't seem like a, a big ask. You know, Ed, because it can be imagined, it can be created. And that is a fact of life. Because we can imagine that world, we can create that world. We just have to get about doing it. Sam, that was super powerful, man. And thank you for for sharing that. And I had a, a similar thought, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, my son is about to graduate from high school and... It, and we just got his yearbook in and so all the pictures from the football season and all that stuff are in this yearbook and uh, it occurred to me that in eight years when the uvalde high school yearbook comes out there's going to be a great big drop in their attendance and in their class size because of this thing that has happened i'm so fucking angry i'm so angry i can't i can't we're traumatizing a whole generation of children. And that's something that I think our nation needs to sit with and we need to think about. You know, a lot of issues aren't black and white. There's room for nuance. This is one of those issues where it really comes down to the question of do we as a country value human life? Do we value the lives of kids more than we value guns? You would think the answer to that would be obvious and it should be. A lot of the reason that we all work here at Progress Texas is because we all share that vision of a future where we feel safe and where we know our families will be safe. And I think that that righteous indignation that we feel will drive us to fight like hell to create that future and to make sure that it happens. Well, guys, uh, you know, thank you for let me address the listener here and say thank you for listening to this conversation. Uh, this is a conversation I've been needing to have really bad for about the last 18 hours. And uh, I'm so glad to, as Diana said, to have folks that that I admire and trust and love to discuss these things with. If you're feeling the same way that we're feeling, find someone to talk to about it, even if it's someone who doesn't agree with you politically, as we've talked about. Uh, it feels good to get these feelings out. It helps you think about what the possible solutions could be. I think we've we've gone to some of those places in our talk today. And so thanks again very, very much uh, for listening. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, thank you to Glenn Smith, to Wesley Story, to Sam Gonzalez, to Ed Espinoza, to Diana Gomez, uh, Chris Mosier here. Wrapping up the Progress Texas podcast for today. The happy hour will return. Absolutely will. Hit progresstexas.org to follow us on social. Subscribe to our email list. Uh, if you're listening to us, also make sure and please subscribe to us on your favorite app. Leave us a review and a thumbs up. Uh, we appreciate everybody very much. And uh, no matter what, we will get through this. We're going to do so together. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again next time. Bye.